Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this June 24th, 2016 edition. I broadcast weekdays, that's Monday to Friday, at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on WINB. And of course, for more ways to listen, simply go to the Listen tab at WeekendVigilante.com. I think as most of you know by now, there is a pre-order icon on my website on the right-hand side to pre-order our book, Power Prayers. I co-authored it with Carla Butod. We're actually going to talk about the book next week. I really encourage people to pre-order it now. Don't wait because we really need to see what our numbers are like. As I told everyone, this costs a lot of money to put together when we really need to see where we're at in terms of our pre-order numbers. We thank you in advance for that. Well, I want to jump right into the program because my guest was on a while ago and we predicted that Britain would exit the EU. Well, and of course, we see what happened last night. I want to get his take on that. I said on a show last week, it's going to be C-E-U later. (laughs) So to weigh in on that is the highly famed economist from Straight Money Analysis, Joseph Meyer. Welcome to the program, sir. Always a pleasure to have you on. Good evening, Sheila. It's always a pleasure to visit with you and your listening audience. It's always a pleasure, Joseph. Well, so as you saw the results of last night, We talked about it several months ago. We made our predictions that Britain would exit the EU. Pretty incredible. Well, the markets are doing exactly what you and I outlined in the show we did together that we thought they would. So there's no surprises there. We thought Britain would leave the uh, European Union, and that has happened. And we also thought that we would see some pretty severe volatility and or the beginning of a major correction in the equity markets, and that's underway. So I think the surprise is going to be for people where we go from here. And as I've said many times, how quickly do we get there? Yeah, but you know, when you step back and think about these globalist gangster banksters and all the chicanery that goes on, were you surprised at all? Not really, because I know there's been a lot of dissatisfaction what's gone on in the in the EU for many years, and there's been a lot of issues simmering, you know, beneath the surface that I think people were not truly aware of. But I've got to tell you, it's a wake-up call, no doubt, for globalism as to where we go from here. Wow, that could be a slogan in itself, a wake-up call for globalism. You're onto something there, but look at the markets. Today in the markets, most people, they're looking at the Dow, but gold's experiencing its best update, as you know, in the last seven years. And the best day was dominated, again, as I'm sure you're aware, the British pound in the last 42 years, gold's up 15% overnight against it. 
European economies, as I'm sure you'll agree, have not been good for some time. And I think when we speak of Greece, although it's off the front page news temporarily, right behind that, we've got problems in Portugal, Spain, and Italy as well. So I think we're going to see a, a global slowing as we move into the second half of the year. And I think more importantly, the Fed is boxed in a corner. And quite frankly, they're unable to raise rates, even if the economics would dictate that they do so. Yeah, Europe is in a real mess. And look what's going on with the pound. Well, we had a 10% drop, which is one of the largest single drops going back, I believe, to 1965 in the pound. So there's a lot going on. It's going to work its way through the markets, you know, in the weeks and months ahead of us. But you know, I did say to you in the show, I thought the upside was limited. We got anywhere near 18,000. People should take money off the table, and I think that was a wise decision. This market will probably find some support, you know, somewhat lower than where we are, but I think the bull market's finally over and done. I really do. Yep, the bull market is about as done as, well, David Cameron. You got to love saying bye-bye to the Bilderberg puppet, don't you, Joseph? Well, I don't think he had any other choice. But, you know, the vote was about, I think, at the end of the day, three things. It was about their money. It was about their borders. It was about their immigration policies. And, you know, I think the Brits just made up their mind. They had had enough, and they're going to try to go it alone. I was surprised Scotland and Ireland actually voted to stay. And Well, we've got some votes coming up late this summer. We've got a vote coming up in the Netherlands. We've got another one uh, later on in Germany. And, you know, the key is going to be, do we see Italy, Spain, and Portugal stay at the end of the day? At this point, I don't think anyone knows that. Well, if I had my secret wish, the U.S. would shut down the Federal Reserve. Could we, though, Joseph, see a domino effect here from this? Could be. You know, there's no way that you can really predict as long as these markets have been up, uh, actually, how this decline will play out. But I think the surprise is going to be, as I've said many times, not only how quick this market falls, but how far it does. Well, I'll tell you what, it was still a bold move by Britain. I think the Brits wanted control of their country. They had lost control of their country. As you know, the EU's been around 59 years and this vote last night has got to be got to go down in history as one of the greatest disasters for the EU in its history. More importantly, as I'm sure you also know, they never had a member state leave before. And there's definitely changes underway now. There's a movement underway globally. And we're going to witness, I think, a, a mountain full of changes ahead of us. We're making history as we speak. I think these markets are clearly saying what they intend to do. And I think the global economies on balance have been slowing, as I'm sure you'll agree, for quite some time. Central banks of the world are at the point now where they're going to have to add more liquidity uh, into the markets, whether they want to or not. And as you know, we recently had a very poor jobs number here in the U.S., and the Fed at their last meeting uh, has stood pat on interest rates. And I think at some point, quite frankly, we're going to see a quantitative easing for it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Well, and you know, you brought up good old Keynesianism in a skirt, Bernanke 2.0 there, Janet Yellen. You've got the chair of the Federal Reserve saying, you know, nothing to see here, only a 10% chance of the economy slipping back into recession. There's kind of all this shuck and jive going on with the Fed. You just mentioned that jobs report. That was a staggering report, Joseph. 
Well, it was one of the poorest job reports that we've had, and I think it's indicating, again, that this economy has been in trouble, as I've said many times, uh, for quite a while. I think where we're headed now is certainly going to be a surprise to most people as we finish out, certainly the second half of the year, get through the upcoming presidential elections, and then... I think uh, unless I see uh, indications and evidence to the otherwise that we're going to definitely have pretty nasty recession, I believe, Sheila, starting sometime in 2017. Well, in Japan, the Eurozone, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, where these central banks in their infinite wisdom have imposed negative interest rates, they supplement them with these harebrained bond-buying schemes the bond prices have soared to where many government bonds and even some of the corporate bonds are trading with negative yields. And so when you see this amount of liquidity and the seemingly free-for-all in corporate borrowing and the stock markets should be booming, you'd think. Was that part of the plan? I mean, what do we see happening with this? Well, I think the equity markets, quite frankly, are tired. As you know, this has been an unprecedented bull move uh, in equities, and people lose sight of the fact that the rally uh, in the equity market started in March 2009. And as I've said many times, we've had a tremendous move from the lows, which were 64.70 in the Dow and 6.70 in the S&P 500, And this market over the last several years has failed to have a full 20% correction. And quite honestly, Sheila, I think we're in the process of making a secondary top in the averages. And I think uh, once the secondary top is complete, and I think it could be complete uh, in the near term, we're going to go back down at a minimum, I think, and test the lows that we had seen late last year, which is 15,370 in a Dow. 1810 in the S&P 500 and 4200 in NASDAQ. That's what I think is ahead of us. Well, speaking of what's ahead of us, you see what's going on with NATO. You see what's going on with Russia, Europe. We see the rumblings in the Middle East. Insanity in Europe. I don't know if any of this stuff makes sense. And then, of course, you look at the bipolar precious metal markets. What is going on here? Tie this all together. Well, you know, I've never in my lifetime, and I'm sure you'll agree, have seen more uncertainty in the European Union and more importantly in Europe in particular. You know, where we are headed with what's going on in the Middle East and more importantly, Syria, who knows? But I think, again, the precious metals are telling a story that few people want to acknowledge at this point. You know, every time they've attempted to push the metals back down, it's been extremely difficult to push them down below the previous lows that we have witnessed. And the precious metal bull market, as you know, uh, put a major bottom in place late last year and in early January. And since then, these metals have been on a tear. And I think we're going to see, even as we move forward, significantly higher prices in gold and silver as well, along with crude oil. When you say higher prices, just ballpark, what are we looking at? Well, I think we very easily go back to the all-time highs, $1,930 in gold and $4,845 uh, in silver, and I think longer term, significantly higher. You know, I've said many times that this is a super cycle commodity bull market. I think at best it's only half over. And more importantly, what most people don't realize, Sheila, that in bull markets, 80% of the gains take place in the last 20% of the move. 
So although we've had a tremendous move in gold from 255 in 1999 up to 1930, and we're currently right around $1,280 an ounce, I think longer term we go into the thousands an ounce. And I think with silver, we see a couple of hundred dollars an ounce. And I think with oil, we see one more move back to the all-time highs, 144, possibly 150 a barrel in oil. So I think the commodity bull is alive and well, and I think the surprise is going to be how quickly these prices continue to drive the higher valuations. How do you feel about Jim Sinclair's jaw-dropping prediction that we could see up to $10,000 for gold and 500 for silver? Well, you know, going back, we've had one ounce of gold uh, by the Dow twice. As you know, it happened first in 1932 and the second time in 1980. But more importantly, to use another yardstick, you know, the bull market in 1970 in gold, we saw it go from 35 an ounce to 850, which was a multiple of 24. Well, if we use that same yardstick in a multiple of 24 and we had gold, as you know, down to 255 in 1999, we retested it a second time in 2001. Take 255, Sheila, and multiply it times 24 and you get 6120. And I think that's a very conservative number because I think this bull market here is very easily going to surpass what we had witnessed in the 1970s. Well, we all know that, of course, with elections always have economic consequences. In this current U.S. presidential race up to the election, of course, we've seen various economic proposals from the candidates that will profoundly affect the economy. What is your thoughts on Donald Trump's, uh, I mean, he hasn't really provided specific details, but, you know, what are we seeing with this? Well, I think at this point, no one really knows. You know, I like Donald Trump. I like a lot of his ideas, but I think at this point we need specifics. I'd like to know specifically what he's going to do and how quickly he's going to be able to do the things that he believes uh, certainly need to be done to turn this economy around. Well, how would Donald Trump's proposals affect the economy? I mean, he's talking about deportation of some 11, 12, 13 million undocumented immigrants and massive tax cuts for upper income earners. He's set on record building a wall between the U.S. and Mexico, but I guess they're paying for it. There's this intentional default on the U.S. debt in the event of a recession. So in terms of how would his proposals affect the economy, what could we be looking at with some of the things he's saying? Because they have obviously huge economic ramifications. Oh, absolutely. I think to create the number of jobs that we're going to certainly need to turn this economy around we're going to have to look at rebuilding America's crumbling infrastructure. And, you know, I've talked about this over the years, and certainly we should have done it a long time ago. But I think when you look at uh, possibly building new bridges, repairing and building new dams and levees, rebuilding and repairing our tunnels, rebuilding and improving our highways and upgrading our sewer systems, upgrading our power grid, you know, these are some of the things where, I believe we could put people to work for a number of years at some very nice wages, and I think that's certainly going to be one of the focal points that he's going to look at uh, if, in fact, he is elected president in November. Well, the truth is, when you really step back and take a macro view, the economy actually dictates to the present and the presidency, not the other way around. 
I don't see any foreign or domestic entity or not even really the Federal Reserve chairman that can totally control the global economy as much as people like to say that. But I think you really do have to look at a triggered recession in all this. I mean, Jimmy Carter, look at that restrictive monetary policy under his reign through the early 1980s to supposedly tame inflation. So are we seeing like a replay of the whole Bush-Clinton economics here? Well, I hope it isn't, but most likely that's exactly what it is. You know, talking about the late 1970s and early 1980s, I did a little research. I think you'll find this interesting. Do you know what the medium family income of the average American was in 1980? Take a guess. Mm, 20,000? 18,000 a year. Do you know what the average national price of a new home was in 1980? Take a guess. 90,000? 76,000 was oh, the average my. national price of a new home. I was way off. You know what the cost of an average new car was in 1980? Take a guess on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that one I know because my dad bought us a new car in 1980, so uh, like around 7,000. Yeah, that really kind of paints a picture, doesn't it? <laughs> Does that put things in perspective, Sheila? <laughs> I'd be laughing if it wasn't so sad. But those were back in the good old days, Joseph, when we actually had jobs right here in the West. And, you know, not a day goes by. I don't phone my bank, my cell company, some service I have. And I reach some guy in the middle of the Philippines who can't even speak English. And it's just frightening how many jobs we've let out of our country. This has been going on from quite for quite some time, and it's accelerating as we speak, and I don't see, quite honestly, uh, any end in sight. I mean, we look at the oil prices right now, and cheap oil, you'd think it should be a stimulus for the global economy. In theory, lower energy prices should free spending capital for businesses and consumers, but it doesn't look like that's happening, does it? Well, you know, people were looking for fifteen, twenty dollar a barrel oil, and I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And you know, I felt we'd come down to the twenty five, twenty six, fifty a barrel level, and that's exactly where oil bottomed. And going back and looking at history, there were six prior periods when oil prices doubled within a two year period of time. You had January of 74, November of 79, September of 80, June of 2000, August of 2005, December of 2008. And I think we're going to see it again here sometime in 2016. We've had oil double off to 27 a barrel level, and we only have to get to $54, $55 a barrel. And as you know, the last several days, we traded already at 51. So... I think this is the seventh time we've seen the price of oil double within two years, Sheila. People lose sight of that. Well, back in the kind of year end of 2015, in Straight Money Analysis, you really made a prediction that oil was going to make a major low. Of course, we saw that. Were you surprised by the vast number of respected energy analysts that were looking for crude oil to trade down below $10? Well, you know, the last time we saw $10 a barrel oil was in the late 1980s, and I was part of those markets at that time. But, you know, I began my career on the street in 1972, and I started investing in 1966. So I've been part of these markets 50 years. So when I look at a market, I look at it from the fundamentals. I look at it from the standpoint of the technicals. And more importantly and lastly, I look at it from the standpoint of history. 
And I just believe we picked up too many bears as oil worked its way down below $30 a barrel. And I thought it was right for a turn. And that's exactly what happened. And we witnessed the same thing in both gold and silver into the year end and into early uh, 2016. We had an awful lot of bearish sentiment, a lot of people looking for significantly lower prices. And these markets have not cooperated. And these markets are strong and they're attempting to go higher. You know, up until the last couple of weeks, we had the uh, Dow Jones going up, we had gold and silver going up, and we had the price of oil going up on a regular basis as well. When can you recall the last time we had those three markets in, in, in sync? Not ever. Not ever. What does that tell you? I think that's telling a bigger picture again. Most people don't want to acknowledge and or believe. So the ongoing conflict as we see in this turmoil in the Middle East, that's continuing. You see what Iran and Saudi Arabia, well, what they do, who knows. But during your 50 years, as you just alluded to, as a participant in all these markets, you know, what do you see happening here with the outcome of the influence in the Middle East? Well, I think it's a wild card at this point. I don't think we really know what's going to happen and, and, and more importantly, when it can take place. But I do believe we're going to see higher energy prices and I do believe we're going to see some more uh, uncertainty coming out of the Middle East with violence. But, you know, I've said there's five things that will not change in our economy as we move forward. And I think we discussed them in a previous show, but let me run them by one more time for you and your listening audience. Number one, war will continue but will not be either won or lost. Number two, both debt and currency creation will continue to rise. Number three, gold, silver, crude oil, and food prices will continue to rise. Number four, the number of Americans on food stamps will also continue to rise. And number five, Americans working full-time jobs will also decline. So those are the five things, I think, moving forward that are not going to change, uh, irrespective of what takes place, certainly in the global economy and, more importantly, the Middle East. Well, we've seen Chinese, you know, signing these agreements. You see the Gazprom, you see Leviathan, Tamar, you've got oil-rich Nigeria buying oil and yuan throughout the whole Shanghai exchange. I mean, China's now in the process of building its own crude oil reserves. India and China are making me nervous when it comes to crude oil here. What's your take on that? Well, I think as they continue to build out their infrastructure, they're going to continue to use large amounts of crude oil. But more importantly, we're starting to see India now, as you know, starting to draw down large amounts of crude oil as well. I think we're going to see demand on crude oil continue to increase, and we're using oil at three times the rate in which we're finding it. And you know, all the cheap, inexpensive, easy-to-find oil has been used up, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to find oil, and when they find it, extremely expensive to, to bring it out of, the, out of the ground. I think we're going to see higher energy prices. The key is how quickly do we go back you know, to $100 a barrel oil, and I think it may be sooner than later. And I think the surprise is going to be how quickly gasoline prices go back up, and, and this time around, how high they go. Were you surprised to see the oil giant ExxonMobil? Of course, they've always bragged about their AAA rating. Were you surprised to see them being downgraded with their prestigious, coveted rating? 
Well, you know, there were only three companies in the S&P 500, as I'm sure you know, that had the coveted AAA rating. ExxonMobil was one of them, but the other two were Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson. But I think when you take a look at how much uh, the balance sheet on ExxonMobil has changed and how much money was used to buy back their own stock, I'm not surprised we had seen that. What is really surprising you right now as we go forward here almost into July? What is surprising you the most of all your years in looking at these markets? Well, I think the biggest surprise is Walmart, as as I'm sure you also know this, is the largest employer in 19 states. And after Walmart, the second largest employer in the next 16 states is the state educational system. So I think when we talk about decent paying jobs and we talk about creating the environment where people can be gamefully employed and certainly earn a nice living to take care of the family, this is a much different time. I think the wealth disparity and and the transfer of wealth, which has been ongoing for a number of years, I think is very comparable to what we've witnessed uh, having taken place in the 1930s. You know, since 2009, Sheila, 95% of all income gain has gone to the richest 1% of the U.S. population. The average American household income remains below 1999 income levels. Wow. We have over 50 million Americans on food stamps. People are earning more in many states by being on welfare rather than seeking meaningful employment. So, you know, currently over 50% of all stocks and bonds, and you know this, are owned by 1% of the population. And we now have the wealthiest 20% of all Americans now control 84% of all wealth in America. So this is a much different time. This is a unique period. And I think the surprise is, you know, as long as this purported economic recovery has gone on, it has failed to trickle down to to working class America. And it's certainly not been able to do what a lot of people believed and have believed for a long time that it would be possible to certainly uh, see take place. Trump is, of course, talking every other day about bringing back jobs to America. How does he plan to pull that off, though? You know, easier said than done. I think when you talk about all the companies that have moved overseas and continue to move overseas and move overseas for good reason, you know, we got the world's highest corporate uh, income tax rates here in the United States. Do you know what the corporate income tax rate is in the United States? Yeah, it's off the charts. It's it's 39.1%. The top five highest countries for corporate income taxes, the United States, 39.1%, Japan, 37%, France, 34%, Belgium, 34%. Germany, 32 point, uh, 30.2%. And the five lowest countries, you're going to love this, Ireland, 12.5%, Slovenia, 17%, Poland, 19%, Hungary, 19%, Czech Republic, 19%. Do you know what China's corporate tax rate is? Take a guess. Uh, 22%. 20 Yeah, I figured it would be. Well, so we all need to be doing business with Ireland, <laughs> Joseph. May not be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll, let's go start a beer company. Oh, that's been done. Whoops. <laughs> Give Guinness a run for its money. <laughs> Kidding. We're joking. But, you know, interesting, Switzerland's at 21, the United Kingdom's at 23, and Canada, where you are, is 26.1%. Well, it doesn't make it attractive to some of these large global companies, does it? It does not. 
Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how Trump's going to pull that off. In any event, Joseph, I know you got to run. I know you've got another show. You're on Coast to Coast. It's such a pleasure to have you weigh in on all the insanity unfolding economically. And I want to encourage people to get your straight money analysis report. I think they'd be hard pressed to find another analysis like that. So in the waning moments, tell people a little bit about that. We put a tremendous amount of work, as you know, into every issue of the newsletter, Sheila. We write a quarterly newsletter. We write extensively on the U.S. economy. We write on the global economy. We write on the U.S. equity markets. We write on both stocks and bonds and precious metals, both gold and silver, and in the energy sector, crude oil and natural gas. And we have, lastly and more importantly, a pretty extensive commentary in every issue on Fed monetary policy. I've just sent out the June 2016 issue to my subscribers all over the world. And out of respect and as a courtesy to you, anyone becomes a subscriber, we'll give them a full one-year subscription to the newsletter at the six-month subscription price. Normally, the one year is $259.95, the six months $149.95. So we'll give you a one-year subscription at the six-month subscription price, save you $110 on the subscription. And we'll also send you the December 2015 year-end issue of the newsletter along with the March 2016 and the June 2016 issue of the letter. And we'll start the subscription uh, from September 2016, which will be the next issue of the newsletter. Tell people how they can get Straight Money Analysis. Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website. We have a secure PayPal terminal Click on the six-month button, and that will allow you to get a one-year subscription and put under instructions to the merchant, Sheila Zielinski, and then I'll know that they came from the uh, program that we've done this evening, and I'll make the six-month subscription a one-year subscription to the newsletter, and you'll get the next issue of the newsletter when it's written, which will be the September 2016 issue. And It's going to be the best money you've ever uh, spent because you're going to get the research and analysis of someone who's been in these markets for 50 years. Well, you really can't go wrong with that. I know the price of some of these economic magazines. And let me tell you, yikes, you know, the media narrative, it's just absolute garbage and they charge a lot of money for that. Joseph, it is always a pleasure. It's always a lot of fun for me. So thank you, sir, for coming on the program today. Well, thank you so much. We always appreciate with visiting with you and your listening audience on the weekend vigilante. Thank you so much, Sheila. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Joseph. Folks, that was famed economist Joseph Meyer. Go check out a sample at straightmoneyanalysis.com. That's good stuff over there. And you're really not going to find that anywhere else. Like I said, these bought and paid for media outlets, there's a lot of junk they put out. So do go check out Joseph's website again straightmoneyanalysis.com. Such a great guy. Always enjoy him. You know, we've got our link today for the pre-orders for the book Power Prayers, because as you know, the publisher's charging us a lot of money. These things aren't free. We've just had so many requests for putting together this, and I hope you support it. I think that's really important. Hey, and guys, I really need to make some decisions about the future of this ministry There is a lot of people that are listening to this program. The workman is worthy of his wages. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people eating the meat of it, and they're not supporting it financially. And that's just the truth. 
And so if you've listened to this program, I'm asking you to support this ministry. If you think it's important to keep on the air, support this ministry. I know what my numbers are, and it's very frustrating for me to see the kind of numbers that I have, and people are not supporting it financially. There are some, but they're very few and far between. I have put six years of my heart and soul into this ministry to helping bless people, deliverance, Great Commission Kingdom work. And I'm not a person that likes to talk about money, but I'll tell you what, I'm gonna have to make some decisions if people don't start stepping up to the plate. I shouldn't have to go in the hole to do what I do. So I hope you guys think this is worth keeping on the air. If you do want to sow into this ministry, Go to weekendvigilante.com and there is a donate button there. It tells you there how you can donate, including PayPal. So it's my hope that I start seeing more people support this. And if you're supporting this ministry, thank you. We have a fantastic show next week. We'll see you then. Good night and God bless.